August the 17th, Race to the Finish. It's going to help support our very own Matt Matos and World Nations. And so let me encourage you, if you enjoy running, come out and run this. It's a 5K. If you don't enjoy running, you can walk the course. I, what is a 5K? I think it's like 3.1, 3.2 miles. You can do that. If you say, I can't walk, then just give some money. That'll be good as well. So August the 17th, you can sign up online. Well, if you haven't already done it, let me encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you weren't good at anything? That at the very best, you were mediocre at what you were doing? And maybe, just maybe, there were times that you felt like you were just a, uh, well, a, a, a loser. Have you ever felt that way? I've got to be honest with you. I have felt that way before. And there are times in my life now that I still feel that way. There are times that I feel like my best years were between seven and nine. <laughs> seven years old and nine years old. I mean, there are times that I really feel that way. I was little Mr. Holly Hill. I got to dress up in a tux and escort the high school queen. I was something else. When I played football, I never got tackled. I hardly got touched. I was untouchable. In class, at school, I was the smartest kid in my class. I was the smartest kid in school. I believe I was the smartest kid on the planet. And in my family, I was the number one kid. And I was the only kid, but I was the number one kid. And, and then I hit 10 and everything seemed to change. I was no longer the king. I, I wasn't the most popular. I wasn't the best looking. I wasn't those things. There were other people that got those awards. And when I played football, I not only got tackled, I got tackled a lot. And in school... Man, I wasn't the smartest kid in the school. I wasn't the smartest kid in my, in my grade. I wasn't the smartest kid in, in my class anymore. And in my family, I had a little brother. And he became number one. At least it seemed that way in my life. Have you ever felt that way? That you just weren't good at anything? You were mediocre? Maybe you were a, a loser? I think we've all struggled with those feelings before because I believe they are a part of the fall. I think that most of us have struggled with those things ever since the fall of man. I mean, look at Adam and Eve's first two kids, Cain and Abel. Cain compared himself to Abel, and what did he end up doing? He ended up killing his brother. But all the time, I think that we forget that the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. We are sons and daughters of a king. And yet we feel like we're nobodies. We feel like we're mediocre. We feel like we're not good at anything. And I believe it's gotten a whole lot worse in the age of social media today because now we compare our mediocre life with the highlight reels, with the touched up photos of other people. 
And we look at our own life and and all we see is our mess-ups, our blow-ups, our missed opportunities. But what I want you to know this morning is this. God doesn't make junk. You, You are not simply the byproduct of a sexual act before you were formed in your mother's womb. Before you were even formed, God chose you. And God had a plan for your life. You see, if you were created by God and you were, God created you for a reason. Now, when we get to Exodus 25, God begins to give Moses instructions. He's given Moses instructions on how to build the tabernacle and everything in it. Now, this is a big deal because the tabernacle is where God is going to dwell with his people. And he tells Moses that every single detail of the tabernacle has to be built to the exact specifications, exactly the way he says. And then in Exodus 31, we move to God choosing the people who are going to be responsible for building the tabernacle. And as we read these first 11 verses of Exodus 31, we discover some things about these people who who built the tabernacle, but we also discover some things about each and every one of us. And so if your Bibles are open, I want you to follow along as we read Exodus 31, beginning in verse 1 through verse 11. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen, let that sink in, specifically chosen, chosen Bezalel son of Uri grandson of Ur of the tribe of Judah I have filled him with the spirit of God giving him great wisdom ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts he is a master craftsman expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master of every craft. And I have personally appointed Aloalab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so that they can make all the things I have commanded you to make. The tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark's cover, the place of atonement, all of the furnishings of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its accessories, the incense altar, the the altar burnt offering with all its utensils, the wash basin with its stand, the beautifully stitched garments, the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons to wear as they minister as priests. The anointing oil, the the fragrant incense for the holy place. The craftsman must make everything as I have commanded you. Now, as we unpack these 11 verses, there are three truths I want you to see. Here's truth number one. God chose you for a purpose. When God was ready to build the tabernacle, the place where his presence would dwell, he told Moses, I have chosen Bezalel for this task. Out of several million people, God had one person in mind to lead this project. This verse literally says in the Hebrew, I have called by name Bezalel. 
In other words, before God ever told Moses that Bezalel was going to lead this project, God told Bezalel that he was going to lead this project. God called him by name. Think about that. Think about God calling him out, speaking to him from heaven. Have you ever had someone that you admired, someone that you respected, someone who was famous, someone that you didn't, you didn't think they even knew your name, call your name? Have you ever had that happen? Man, how did it make you feel? Didn't it make you feel good? Didn't it make you feel special? Now, there are some of us who are great with names. It seems like we can remember every name of every person we ever meet. And then there are others of us that struggle with names. We forget our grandkids' names. But God never forgets a name. He knows all of us by name. God called Bezalel by name. But it goes on and it says that he knew other people by name. It says that, that God chose Elohab by name. He chose him to be Bezalel's assistant. And then we are told that he chose a number of assistants, other craftsmen, whose names aren't given to help with this holy task. You see, we see this, this truth throughout Scripture. God calls people. He chooses people to be a part of his plan. God chose Abraham. Out of all the people on the earth, God chose Abraham. And he said, I am going to bless you, and I am going to make you a blessing to the nations. And from Abraham, God gave the world the Messiah. God chose Moses to be the deliverer of God's people. Moses was 80 years old. He was a murderer. He was a has-been, at least he thought. He was living as a shepherd in the wilderness, and yet God called him to deliver his people. We're told that God chose leaders for each community, leaders for each tribe, leaders for each clan. We're told that God chose the Levites who would do the holy work of the tabernacle and then the temple. We're told that God chose David to be the one that would deliver Israel from the Philistines. We're told that God chose David's son, Solomon, to build the temple. We're told that God chose Esther for such a time as this so that she would speak up and rescue God's people when they were about to be exterminated from the planet. We're told that God called Jeremiah. He chose him to be a prophet to his people and to the nations. We're told that God chose John the Baptist to be the forerunner of the Messiah, and he chose Paul to be the missionary to the Gentiles. But what you need to understand is just as God has called and chosen these people throughout Scripture, God has chosen you. God has called you for a specific purpose. He has called you by name, and he has chosen you to be a part of his holy task. Now, what does that mean? Well, I don't know the specifics of it, but I know two things. One, I know God has called you for salvation. And second, he's called you for service. He's called you for a relationship. And then he has called you into responsibility. You see, God created you 
own purpose for a purpose, regardless of who you are. Regardless of what your past may look like, God created you on purpose for a purpose. I know that this may sound cliche, but God really does have a wonderful plan for your life. And if you will seek to find that plan that God has for you, that is the way that you will find fulfillment in your life. Our problem is that we look in the mirror and we see all of our flaws Whereas God looks down from heaven and he sees the future that he has prepared for us. We look in the mirror and we see our imperfections. God looks down from heaven and he sees our possibilities. He sees our potential. You see, there are no rejects. There are no recalls. There are no discards in God's creation. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made. So quit saying, I can't, and start saying with God, all things are possible. Start saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter what your past may be. God can redeem your past. It doesn't matter what opportunities you've missed in life. God restores wasted opportunities. So quit making excuses. You're crippled. So is Johnny Erickson Tata. You're blind. So is, was Fanny Crosby. You struggle with depression. So did Martin Luther. You've had a tough life. Corey Tin Boone spent much of her childhood in a Nazi concentration camp. Nick Vujicic was born without any arms and any legs, and yet he is spreading the gospel all around the world. David Ring has cerebral palsy, and yet he is one of the most powerful evangelists I have ever met. What you, when, when you look at your life and, and you see your flaws, you see your weaknesses, your failures, God looks at you and he sees opportunities. God sees them as opportunities for Jesus to shine in you and through you and for you. So God calls you by name. Have you heard his call? Have you responded? God has chosen you. Of all the people who have ever been born, God chose you to be a part of his family. God chose you for his service have you responded let me ask you a question have you discovered what God has created you for I can promise you this it's not to make a name for yourself it's to know him and make his name known that's what God created you for it doesn't matter what you may be doing. You can be a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or anything else in the world. God didn't create you to do that. He created you, if that's what you're supposed to do, to be used as a platform to make him known to the world. That's what you were created for. That's what you were called for. God chose you. For a purpose. God created you on purpose for a purpose. Have you discovered your purpose? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you discovered what you're responsible to do with your life? 
Have you experienced the salvation that only He can bring? Are you serving Him daily? God chose you for a purpose, just like Bezalel. But second, God empowers you to accomplish that purpose. You see, God never calls us to do something without giving us the ability to do whatever it is that He called us to do. When God create what God created you to do, He will empower you to do. Notice what God says beginning in verse 3. God says, I have filled him, Bezalel, with the Spirit of God. Now listen very carefully. You can't accomplish God's purpose in your flesh. God's purpose is spiritual. God's purpose is not of this world, even though it will be accomplished in this world. That's why when we are saved, God fills us with His Spirit to direct us, to guide us, to lead us, to accomplish what He has called us to do. I'm afraid that many of our churches today are filled with people who aren't filled with the Spirit. You say, Rocky, that's judgmental. No, that's realistic. Jesus said that, that there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, but never knew me. Jesus said, the way to destruction is wide. The way to salvation is narrow. Not many will find it. I'm afraid that many of us in the church today are not filled with the Spirit And many of us, listen, in the church today have never been filled with the Spirit of God. Because when the Spirit of God comes to live in our lives, He changes us, He transforms us, He makes us new. You're not a Christian if you haven't been changed. There's no way that the Spirit of the Almighty God comes to live in you and it not change you. In Romans chapter 2, it says that we will have a change of heart that is produced by the Spirit. Have you had a change of heart? Has your life been changed? When God's Spirit lives in us, things that God's Spirit desires will be desired by us. That doesn't mean we will not struggle with the things of this world. It doesn't mean we won't be tempted by the things of this world and and at times even fall to the things of this world. But it does mean that we will have experienced an internal change, an internal change that results in an external difference in our lives. And it is the Holy Spirit working in us that changes us. The Apostle Paul says that he gives us both the desire to do what God wants us to do and the power to do what God wants us to do. Did you get that? God's Spirit living in us gives us the desire to live for Jesus. If you don't want to live for Jesus, His Spirit is not living in you. But God's Spirit not only gives us the desire, God's Spirit within us gives us the power. Paul said that the Spirit that is living in us is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Think about that. The Spirit of Almighty God is living in you if you were a child of God. And that's the only way. 
you will ever be able to accomplish the purposes for which God has called you. Are you filled with the Spirit? Say, Rocky, how are you filled with the Spirit? Well, you've got to be saved. You got to be saved. And to do that, you've got to repent of sin, turn from sin. If you're still living in sin, you're not giving evidence that you've been saved. You, you turn from sin. You repent of sin. You don't just say, God, I don't want to burn in hell. No, you don't want to live controlled by sin anymore. You trust Jesus to save you, and you surrender your life to him. And when you surrender your life, he fills you up. But if you want to stay filled with the Spirit, you have to continually empty yourself of self. And here's the thing I know about self personally. Man, self always wants to be full. Self always wants to take center stage. We're born with this selfish nature that wants self to rule. And so I have to put to death self daily. I have to empty myself of self daily if I'm ever going to be filled with the Spirit of God. Oh, dear church, listen to me. When we really do get serious about allowing God's Spirit to fill us, that's when God will use us to make a difference in the world. Bezalel was filled with the Spirit of God. But then it says that God gave him the wisdom that he needed. Now understand there's a difference between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. God tells us not to put our trust in the wisdom of this world. Now this doesn't mean we don't study and we don't learn and we don't try to gain knowledge of facts. We do. We should learn as much as we can but we need to understand there's a difference between knowledge and intelligence and biblical wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says this, The wise will be trapped in the snare of their own cleverness. Did you get that? The wise will be trapped in the snare of their own cleverness. In other words, the wisdom of those who think they are wise will be the very thing that trips them up and keeps them in the dark. It's not the wisdom of this world that we need. It's the wisdom of God. You see, the wisdom that the world offers is completely different than, than God's wisdom. God's wisdom gives us the ability to see things from God's perspective. And then respond to things from God's perspective. That's wisdom. Seeing things. And then responding to things from God's perspective, not the world's perspective. God said, I'm going to give Bezalel the wisdom he needs. And then he said, I'm going to give him the ability he needs. Did you know if you're a child of God, God has already given you the ability to do everything that he has called you to do? He's already given it to you if you're a child of God. You may need to discover it. You may have to develop it. But he's already given it to you. You have the ability to do everything that God has called you to do. So God said, I'm going to fill Bezalel with my spirit. I'm going to give him the wisdom that he needs and the ability to do everything that I want him to do. And then it says this, he is going to have expertise. Expertise means he's really good. It says that he is going to be a master 
craftsman. It's pretty good. He is going to be an expert, not an ex-squirt, an expert. And what you need to understand is the same thing that can be said of Bezalel can be said of each and every one of us. I want you to look at me. God created you to be an expert. God created you to be a master at something. God doesn't make junk. God makes masterpieces. Pieces of art. And God has created you with abilities and gifts that allow you to be incredibly good at something. An expert. A master at that. It's your job to discover what that is so that you don't miss out on what it is that God has called you to do. So what is it that you're really good at? Many of you don't know. The reason you don't know is because you haven't tried to discover what it is that God wants you to do and you haven't developed it. Some of you can can preach far better than I can. You just don't know it. Some of you can sing much better than David can. No offense, David. You just don't know it. Some of you have gifts and abilities that have never been tapped into. They've never been unlocked. And you're sitting in a chair wasting those gifts and abilities when God wants you to use them. You're great at something. And you were given that greatness so that God could shine through you. Rick Warren said it this way. He, he said that God has shaped everyone for a certain reason. He's given each of us a shape, S-H-A-P-E. He's given those of us who are believers spiritual gifts. He gives us those when we are born into his family. He gives us heart's desires, things that our heart's desire. He gives us natural abilities, abilities that we, we had when we were born. Now, have you noticed that some kids are just naturally athletic? Some kids are just naturally musical? Some kids can just naturally build things? One of our granddaughters... Aria, who was adopted by our son John, I mean, as a little kid, she could sit down with a complex puzzle and put that puzzle together faster than I could. It's crazy. And you say, Rocky, you're slow. Well, that's true. But she's also fast. She obviously has some natural abilities in this area. We've been given a personality. Some of us are outgoing. Some of us are introverted. Our personalities are different, but God has given us that personality used for his glory. He's allowed us to have life experiences, good life experiences, bad life experiences, painful life experiences, enjoyable life experiences. And he's given us all of these things to shape us and make us into the person that can accomplish, listen, the purpose that he created us to accomplish. 
That's why we need to discover our spiritual gifts. That's why we need to find out what that heart's desire is and how it can be used for God's glory. That's why we need to tap into our natural abilities. We need to use our personality. We need to let those experiences be leveraged for God's glory. Why? Because if God's called you to do something, he's going to equip you and give you the ability to do it. Okay? Third truth. God expects you to fulfill that purpose. What God has chosen you to do, what God has equipped you to do, God expects you to do. We see that here at the the end of verse 11. It says at the end of verse 11, the craftsman must make everything I have commanded. You see, God will hold us accountable for how we use the gifts and the abilities He has given us. God isn't up in heaven saying, I've given you these gifts, I've given you these abilities, I've allowed you to have these experiences so that you can do whatever you want. No, God says, I've given you these things so that they can be leveraged to bring glory to my name. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about his glory. And he's given you the gifts and abilities that you have to bring glory to his name. Do you remember the parable of the talents? Parable of the talents, the landowner who owned all of this stuff was going on a journey and he gave one guy ten talents and said, I want you to take care of this invested. He gave another one five and take care of it, invest in another one. He gave one, I want you to take care of it and invest it. And when he came back, the one who had 10, he had invested it, and he had 10 more, so he had 20. The one who had five invested it, and he had five more, and then he had 10. The one who had one, remember what he did? He buried it because he was afraid that he was going to lose it. Do you remember that? And what happened? When he got back, the one who had 10 talents was judged based upon him being given 10 talents. The one who had five talents was judged based upon him being given five talents. The one who had one was judged based upon him being given one talent. The one who had one talent wasn't judged because he didn't make 20 talents like the one who had 10 talents to begin with. He was judged based upon what he did with the one talent he was given. We aren't all given the same abilities. We aren't all given the same gifts. We aren't all given the same opportunities. We don't all have the same influence. But what we will be judged on when we stand before God is how we use the things God has given to us to bring glory and honor to his name. And I want you to listen to me. There are some of you in this room this morning that have a lot more influence or a lot more potential influence than I could ever have. You're going to be judged for how you use that influence, how you leverage it. There are some of you that are way more gifted than I am. And you're going to be judged for how you use those gifts. There are some of you who have been given opportunities that I will never have. And you're going to be judged for how you use those opportunities. The good news for you is that I am going to be judged for how faithful I am in using the gifts, the abilities, the opportunities, the influences that God has given me to bring glory to his name. One day, I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to give an account 
him. And I'm going to have to answer for every wasted opportunity, every, every piece of influence that I've had that I haven't leveraged for his glory. The amount of gifts that he's given me that I haven't developed, the abilities that he's given me that I haven't used, I'm going to give an account of that, but you will too. No matter who you are. You see, we must all expect to give an account for how we fulfill the purpose that God has called us to. So what is it that God has called you to? Have you discovered it? I'm begging you this morning. Don't waste your life on temporal things that will fade away. Don't chase after the things of this world that will never fill you up and bring joy to your heart. Give your life to doing what God has created you to do. Has God called you to preach? Quit sitting in that chair and get prepared to preach. Has God called you to the mission field? Then ask us what you need to do. Get ready and go. Has God called you to plant a church? Then by God's grace, let us help you plant that church. What is it that God's called you to do? Don't sit there and waste your life. Invest it for the glory of God. And as we wrap this up, there are two things I know that God has called you to. God has called you to salvation. God has called you to service. If you're here this morning, I can tell you right now, God has you here because he is calling you by name if you don't know him. And he longs for a relationship with you. And once you know him, he wants you to serve him. He's called you for that relationship and that responsibility. He's called you for salvation and he's called you for service. Do you know him? Are you giving your life in service to him? Now here's what I know. If you know him, if you really know him, his spirit is living in you. You've been changed. You've been transformed. You're a new person because of Jesus. You see, this isn't religion. This is a supernatural relationship with a living God, the creator of heaven and earth. Do you know him? If you don't, please, I beg you in Jesus' name, don't leave this room this morning without humbling yourself before Jesus, acknowledging your sinful, self-centered life. Trust Jesus to save you. And surrender all to him. And see what he will do. See how he will change you. See how he will make your life so much better than it's ever been before. If you're here and you know him and you know that you've been saved, then I would ask you, are you serving him? Are you fulfilling the responsibilities he's called you to do? And you will be accountable to him for doing. If you're not then quit wasting your life. Quit making excuses and get engaged 
and change the world. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And with your head bowed, your eyes closed, if you're here and you don't know that you know Jesus, then I would say to you that the reason you don't know that is because right now Jesus is calling you to himself. He wants you to enter into a relationship with him. He wants you to become his child. And I want to challenge you. Humble yourself. Give your life to him. If that's what you want to do, let me encourage you to pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, I humbly come before you this morning acknowledging my sin, my guilt, my self-centeredness. I'm tired of living life my way. I'm tired of sitting on the throne of my life. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. You died on the cross. You rose from the grave so I could be forgiven. Today, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving you my life. Take control. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Jesus, from this moment on, I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer.